Yeah. 
tonight as well. So the Holy Spirit's been involved in that. Thankful for those who minister in music here at Centennial. And I appreciate all of them. Good to have Sharon here for a few weeks and uh, with her two little kids. And yeah, we've had a great time with them. Jaden still is a friend of his uncle. He will go to Dawson in a heartbeat which is the most irregular thing, right? Because all children should come to me, but I'm a kind and gentle soul. And have you seen us? You know, it's just a joke. Um, but Jaden goes to him every time. He'll walk around with him, but he won't come to me. But Brianna, she will come to me. You know why? I have candy. 
It's the only way I can win. It's the only way I can get Sophie to come to me. Alright. Just venting a little. First Peter 2. Hopefully you have notes out there. Everybody need notes? Need some notes back here. Yeah, Mr. Jack needs some notes. Do we have any notes lying around, fellas? Reggie yeah, needs some notes. First Peter 2. And we're verse 13 tonight. We get into the government section of this passage first. And then we get into a verse or two on the will of God and the liberty we have in Christ. So verse number 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And that's our title tonight, As the Servants of God. Father, would you work in our lives now during these short minutes as we get around the Word of God together. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would impart truths that would be wonderful for our lives. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. You see, Peter's exhortation to these saints to submit to the government of their land, specifically to submit to the king or the Caesar, and then the local governors and the local municipal leaders. And you would think, boy, this is a great encouraging word, but you've got to remember how we started the book of First Peter and who this is written to. This is written to the Christians during the reign of Nero. Nero, the most hideous emperor ever in history. He would use the heads of Christians to burn his lampposts in the city. He's the one that burned down Rome and then blamed it on the Christians so that he could make a bigger garden for himself. And now Peter is telling these people, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, if you could get that phrase, for the Lord's sake, you won't have very many relationship difficulties in your life. Doesn't matter who it would be with. With a spouse, with a sibling, with parents, with workplace people, with neighbors, with friends, with extended family, with government officials, if we could just get that phrase, for the Lord's sake. Because we don't do things just because we feel like doing them. We do them for the Lord's sake. And so that's what we start to get into tonight. And we begin by saying this, Jesus, who is subject to earthly rulers himself, instructs us to submit to human ordinances for his sake. Do you know that Jesus could have walked off the road of Calvary anytime he wanted? He's the God of the universe. He could have stood before Herod and said, you know what, it's time for you to shut your mouth now. He could have told Pontius Pilate off. He could have done whatever he wanted. He's the God of creation and the God of the universe. And yet, he submitted when they said, hey, we owe tax money. He told Peter, go catch a fish. Peter caught a fish, and inside of the fish's mouth was a coin. 
They wouldn't pay the taxes. They knew the Caesar, the things that are Caesar, and the God, the things that are God. Jesus didn't have to submit to earthly rulers. We know from Proverbs that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he is the Lord. And yet, he did it as an example for us so that we would have the ability to submit to earthly rulers for his name's sake. Because sometimes submitting to earthly rulers is the only way we can reach earthly rulers with the gospel. Sometimes it's the only way we can maintain peace to spread the gospel. And uh, we live now in 2015 in the United States of America, and we see so many things wrong with our nation. If you are a top news junkie, you are depressed all the time. Because things, things in our nation just are not going out well. But I want you to compare where we're at with where they were with Nero. And yet Peter says to him, hey, you guys need to submit. Do you remember who they were? Go back to chapter 1. I'll just remind you here. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Why were they scattered? Because if they didn't scatter, they were going to be murdered. If they didn't scatter, they were going to be killed. And yet, he tells them, hey, wherever you are, submit. And the Bible gives so many examples of godly people, people of faith, who submitted to earthly authority. Think of Nehemiah. What a man he was, and yet he submitted to the reign over him. Think of Joseph who submitted in so many situations because God was with him and he did it for the Lord's sake. And Daniel is an outstanding person to follow. If you want to learn how to live under an oppressive government, read the book of Daniel. Goodness gracious. I mean, they brought him in, they kidnapped him from his home, and yet he became one of the top three rulers of that land. And so Jesus tells us to submit. And when we say to every ordinance of man, what we're talking about is every human institution. The first human institution is the home. That's why it's clearly written in the Bible, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why do children obey their parents? Because they love Jesus Christ. And they are learning who Jesus Christ is. Government is obviously the example we're talking about tonight. And then, even in the local church, which is the third man-made institution founded upon Jesus Christ, but run by men, turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. And I'm not going to take this first out of context, like some do, but I do want to show you a verse here in Hebrews 13. Look at verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So this is the context of the institution of the local church. And here's what God's saying. If you have placed yourself under the leadership and authority of a local church, 
then you should follow that authority, you should submit to that authority, and you should pray for that authority. It says later in the passage to remember, or before that, remember it, afterwards salute them which have rule over you. And some people take this to the extreme, and, and boy, it becomes a really dictatorial uh, type environment. And we don't believe that God wants that, because Peter's going to say later in 1 Peter 5 that the ministers are here to help, to feed the flock of God, and not to beat the sheep, and not to hurt the sheep, but to feed them. And yet there are times in our lives where we are about to go around direction, and we come to a pastor for advice, or we sit in church, or we sit in a, a spiritual environment at our church, and a leader speaks something to us, and we know it's true, and we know it's the right thing to do, but sometimes we push away from it. And that's what this scripture is talking about. That we should consider the end of what's taking place. And so Jesus gives words to us, Peter gives words to us, and we have words throughout the scripture about being subject. We're supposed to be subject to one another in the body of Christ. The Bible says that husbands and wives are to submit to one another in the fear of God. And the verse after that, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But it clearly says that we are supposed to care about others' needs more than our own. We are supposed to take and submit to people even when we don't feel like it. So he gives all of these different uh, titles or these different instances where we would submit. Next thing you notice, we say this. Instead of questioning the right of rulers to rule, we should fully understand they only rule by the providence of God. They only rule by the providence of God. The Bible says in another passage, He is the minister of God unto thee for good. We're supposed to pray for leaders and submit to them because they're the ministers of God to us for good, even if they're not children of God. Even if they're not followers of God, even if they're not disciples of Jesus Christ, they only rule by the providence of God. He is the one who allowed them to rule. He's the one who allowed them to be in that position. And we see that throughout the word of God. That Daniel was under King Nebuchadnezzar. First, Nebuchadnezzar got a little too high on himself. He built a 90-foot idol of himself. He called everyone to worship him. And he played uh, on every instrument known to mankind. If you ever read those verses in Daniel chapter 3, the sackbut and the psaltery and the cymbals and the horn and the ram's horn and all these instruments, and bow down and worship the idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, you go into the next chapter, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, starts eating up this worship and saying, I've, I have made this, this reign for myself, and I am so good at what I've done, and I have 127 provinces. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, that's a bad thing to say. Head out to the field. And he ate grass like an ox for seven years until his hair was longer than any of the people on that dynasty and his nails were as long as you could get were claws and it took seven years for him to humble his heart. I wonder how long it will take us 
How long will it take you to humble your heart before God? What does God have to do to get your attention about your pride? And so it's the providence of God. Now, they had the king, the, the Caesar, but they also had governors in verse 14 that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And we say this in your notes. Lower leaders have been sent by the Roman emperor to preside over provinces. Christians should also respect their authority. So even as the leadership worked its way down, there's still supposed to be this level of respect. There still should be uh, a value of respecting these authorities. And uh, a lot of people say, and I think they just misunderstand, a lot of people say, well, I think that no government at all would be better than what we have now. The people have said that in history. People say that in nations around the world. But this next thing you know, it's a thing clearly states what we could expect if that were the case. Even bad governments are better than complete anarchy in addressing evils and praising goodness. So even bad governments are still making some attempt to punish evildoers. Even bad governments are still making some attempt to raise up those who are doing the right things. And so we should be thankful for what we have. And in the United States, we should certainly be thankful for what we have. Now, we have been given a gift for the last 250 years as a nation to be able to preach the gospel wherever we wanted, except for public schools, in the last 40 years or so. Uh, but to preach and to teach and to interact with people, yeah, we should be extremely thankful. There are nations all across the world where they don't have that privilege. And in fact, there are nations in the Middle East that still behead people in the public square. Nations like Saudi Arabia, who just beheaded a woman this last week in Mecca, the Muslim holy city. And we don't live in a land like that. Uh, some of the biggest bywords in our day have to do with tolerance and uh, changing evil to good and changing truth to falsity. And those are big issues. But a lot of times they're not life or death issues. And if we're being real, they're not life or death issues. Um, Obamacare or whatever it is that we're standing on the soapbox to talk about it, it could be a horrible issue, it could be a bad thing for you and your family, but it seems like you're still living indoors and eating food. Right? And so God has blessed us immeasurably in the United States. And we should really count those blessings and we should honor those who have stood in the gap. The next thing we see, though, is for the praise of them that do well, and look at verse 15, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So basically the Bible gives us a clue here. The only thing that can shut up ignorant men is wholesome actions. Right? You can't get into an argument with a fool and win. That's why the Bible says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Because the more a fool talks, the more he thinks he's winning. 
Sometimes it's best just to not argue with him. Now, the Bible also says in the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And so sometimes you read that question like, well, which one is this? Is this the time where I answer the fool, or is this the time where I don't answer the fool? And the question that you always have to ask is, well, are you being a fool when you're answering him? And if you're being a fool, then you're doing the wrong one at that time. <laughs> so answer not a fool when it makes you look like a fool. And answer a fool when you can truly reach out and help that fool. They were dealing with some ignorant and foolish people here in the Roman regime. And he says, with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Here's how we say it in notes. If the godliness of our actions insulates us from worldly accusations, then our words don't need to vindicate us. We don't have to get into word battles with people who are ignorant of our faith and ignorant of faith in general we can just live out our salvation. That we said last week, yes, we should express our testimony, we should verbalize our faith, but our actions have to back it up first. There has to be a foundation there. And boy, think of the environment they were living here, where the only thing that could silence these people was their well-doing. Now I want you to think of some of the times when some of the mob was actually silenced. You know, there were very few times during Nero's reign where the mob was actually silenced. But some of the times when the mob was silenced was during the burning of Christians. As Christians were burned at the stake and answered not a word against their accusers. Some stood at the stake with arms out and said, Lord, receive me into your sight, as Stephen did at his stoning. Others stood at the stake and sang hymns until their voice would no longer function. And at that moment, at those times, the silence of ignorant men overwhelmed the crowds. Why? Because well-doing spoke for itself. There was nothing that the mob could say. Now, I don't think we have to go to that extreme. Hopefully not. You know, there are times where instead of answering back, instead of being attacked or criticized and going right back after, there are times where God just wants us to do the right thing. Yeah, that God wants us to understand that it's better to do right than it is to be right. There's a lot of times when you're probably right about something, but it's better just to back off and do right. And it's such a good lesson for us. Even in Corinthians, as Paul deals with this church with all these different issues, and one of the big issues was that they were taking each other to the, the Roman courts. And they were taking their brothers and sisters in Christ to the Roman courts to collect shekels, to collect usury or interest on what they give them for a loan. And Paul is speaking to him, he says, how is this happening? I can't believe this is happening. He said, the least person in the church could judge this better than the faulty Roman government. And yet you're taking it outside of the body. And then he gives the sentence. I mean, let's look at it, because this is such a profound sentence. 
So Peter is settled. Now we're going to go back and look at Paul. First Corinthians chapter, let's go to chapter 6. I want you to look at verse number 7. This takes humility. This takes a setting aside of pride. This takes a desire to do right rather than to be right. Look at verse 7, 1 Corinthians 6. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Wow, that's big. Paul says, why don't you just take one for the Jesus team? It's like when Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Just take one for the Lord. Why don't you allow yourself just to be defrauded? But so many times, if there's an issue, we feel like we have to win the issue instead of win the person through our actions. And so Paul and Peter both are addressing this issue. And Peter said, listen, by your actions, not your arguing, not your words, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Let's talk about that ignorance a little bit as you go back to 1 Peter 2. Well, we have it in your notes here. The fact that our accusers are ignorant of God's truth should cause us pity rather than anger. Should cause us pity rather than anger. Sometimes we get really hot under the collar when somebody misrepresents Christianity, misrepresents Jesus Christ. And uh, there should be some type of passion in us about that. But you know, the truth is, we should feel pity more than we should feel anger. Because this is a person whose soul will spend eternity somewhere. This is a person who, if they do not know Jesus Christ, will spend eternity without Jesus Christ. And so, it's a huge point for us. Now, verse number 16 is where we want to close out. And it's, it's such an important truth. And we actually mentioned this concept in our life groups this morning. Verse 16, As free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Stop it through. In the notes we say this, before salvation, we were free from righteousness and servants of sin. At salvation, everything changed. You know, before you were saved, it was impossible for you to do anything righteous. You were free from righteousness. But the moment you trusted Jesus Christ, he freed you from the bondage of corruption. He freed you from the bondage of sin. He freed you from the bondage of the law and gave you the liberty to do righteousness in Jesus Christ all the time, anytime, through Him. And so this verse is cautioning these Christians because some of them were taking their Christian liberty and they were using it to go against these authorities. They were using it to go against these rulers. They were using it in a deceitful, malignant way. That's so he says, as free. You're free. But you're not free to do whatever you want. You're free to do righteousness. You're free to follow Christ. 
It unites truth and grace or what have set us free. That freedom never leads to wrongdoing. In fact, when we do the wrong thing, we are living in freedom and we're going back into bondage. But people miss this. They totally miss this. Christian people miss this concept of liberty. And they say, Pastor, I'm at liberty to do whatever I want. If I don't want to come to church on Sunday night, I don't have to. I do whatever I want. You are exactly right. You can. But that's not Christian liberty. That is often a return to the fleshly carnal nature. I'm not just taking Sunday night as an example. Take anything as an example. Anytime where a Christian says, I can do this because I have liberty. That is what the Bible calls flaunting our liberty. When we take liberty and we justify our own sin with it. And that's not liberty. That is a return to bondage. That's a return to the chains that we were bound in before salvation. So truth and grace are what have set us free. That freedom never leads to wrongdoing, but to serving God. Perfect liberty. So serving God is perfect liberty. And we talked about that this morning in the message, so we won't belabor the point. Let's take this phrase there, a cloak of maliciousness. Isn't that a weird phrase? Not using liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Have you ever wondered what's going on under the magician's cape? Uh, how does he do that stuff? He got a bird out of this hand. What's he do with the other hand? Hey, he's got his hand in one pocket. Uh, what's he doing? Uh, he's always got some trickery going on. You know, that's what this is referring to. It's where we cover ourselves with Christian liberty and paint a Christian on our forehead, but inside we have a weak, desperate, black heart that wants to return to sin and is trying to return to sin. And so a cloak of maliciousness is where we cover our true intentions, our true emotions, our true thoughts, our true words, our true actions, and it all stays covered. And we can cover it for a really long time, but you know eventually the cloak comes off? Eventually the real you steps out on the front stage and everybody sees who I am and who you are, and we have to keep our lives and our liberty in order to be cautious with this cloak of maliciousness. Here's how we explain it in your notes. Our liberty is never an excuse to conceal wickedness in our hearts. It's never an excuse to conceal wickedness in our hearts. And so we have to be very careful of this. Now, there's one more section about uh, these masters or these government officials that we'll get to next week. Before we get to the beautiful passage on Jesus' suffering, and so we get to verses 17 through 20 in our next session, and we're looking forward to that. Great to see you guys out tonight. Let's stand, and we will be dismissed in a word of prayer. And we'll all go home and eat some, what is it? Pork roast. That sounds pretty good. Well, who's else got an idea? I heard pizza, I thought. Fruit Loops? There we go. Fruit Loops, the breakfast of champions.
Hey, we got Bruce Jenner on the cover. That was Wheaties, right? How many of you actually remember the Bruce Jenner cover? Yeah, what was that, 1976? Yeah. Well, I'm sure you do. <laughs> That's the first one I remember. I remember we bought it, and my dad ate it every morning. And he never did the decathlon. <laughs> he never even came close. But if you look at my dad compared to Bruce Jenner now, I'll take my dad. <laughs> Bruce Jenner has had his skin stretched, and poor man, I pity him. Uh, Jack Nelson, you ready to dismiss? I, I was looking at him. I was faking him out like I was going to have him dismissing prayer, and he has. He has left the building. Elvis is gone. <laughs> he has disappeared behind his air. Brother Brandon, would you dismiss us tonight in prayer, my friend? Very good.